0: Chapter ten Part two of Biographia Literaria This is the LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit Librivox. org. Recording by Nicole Lee Biographia Literaria by Samuel Taylor Coleridge. Chapter ten Part two I retired to a cottage in Somersetshire at the foot of Quantock, and devoted my thoughts and studies to the foundations of religion and morals. Here I found myself all afloat doubts rushed in broke upon me from the fountains of the great deep and fell from the windows of heaven the fontal truths of natural religion and the books of revelation alike contributed to the flood and it was long ere my ark touched on an ararat and rested the idea of the supreme being appeared to me to be as necessarily implied in all particular modes of being as the idea of infinite space in all the geometrical figures by which space is limited i was pleased with the cartesian opinion that the idea of god is distinguished from all other ideas by involving its reality but i was not wholly satisfied i began then to ask myself what proof i had of the outward existence of anything of this sheet of paper for instance as a thing in itself separate from the phenomenon or image in my perception i saw that in the nature of things such proof is impossible and that of all modes of being that are not objects of the senses the existence is assumed by a logical necessity arising from the constitution of the mind itself by the absence of all motive to doubt it not from any absolute contradiction in the supposition of the contrary still the existence of a being the ground of all existence was not yet the existence of a moral creator and governor in the position that all reality is either contained in the necessary being as an attribute or exists through him as its ground it remains undecided whether the properties of intelligence and will are to be referred to the supreme being in the former or only in the latter sense as inherent attributes or only as consequences that have existence in other things through him were the latter the truth then notwithstanding all the preeminence which must be assigned to the eternal first from the sufficiency unity and independence of his being as the dread ground of the universe his nature would yet fall far short of that which we are bound to comprehend in the idea of god for without any knowledge or determining resolve of its own it would only be a blind necessary ground of other things and other spirits and thus would be distinguished from the fate of certain ancient philosophers in no respect but that of being more definitely and intelligibly described for a very long time indeed i could not reconcile personality with infinity and my head was with spinoza though my whole heart remained with paul and john yet there had dawned upon me even before i had met with the critique of the pure reason a certain guiding light if the mere intellect could make no certain discovery of a holy and intelligent first cause it might yet supply a demonstration that no legitimate argument could be drawn from the intellect against its truth and what is this more than st paul's assertion that by wisdom more properly translated by the powers of reasoning no man ever arrived at the knowledge of god what more than the sublimest and probably the oldest book on earth has taught us silver and gold man searcheth out bringeth the ore out of the earth and darkness into light but where findeth he wisdom where is the place of understanding the abyss crieth it is not in me ocean echoeth back not in me whence then cometh wisdom Where dwelleth understanding, hidden from the eyes of the living, kept secret from the fowls of heaven? Hell and death answer, we have heard the rumour thereof from afar. God marketh out the road to it, God knoweth its abiding place. He beholdeth the ends of the earth, he surveyeth what is beneath the heavens. And as he weighed out the winds and measured the sea, and appointed laws to the rain and a path to the thunder, a path to the flashes of the lightning, then did he see it and he counted it he searched into the depth thereof and with a line did he compass it round but to man he said the fear of the lord is wisdom for thee and to avoid evil that is thy understanding i became convinced that religion as both the cornerstone and the keystone of morality must have a moral origin so far at least that the evidence of its doctrines could not like the truths of abstract science be wholly independent of the will it were therefore to be expected that its fundamental truth would be such as might be denied though only by the fool and even by the fool from the madness of the heart alone the question then concerning our faith in the existence of a god not only as the ground of the universe by his essence but as its maker and judge by his wisdom and holy will appeared to stand thus the sciential reason the objects of which are purely theoretical remains neutral as long as its name and semblance are not usurped by the opponents of the doctrine But it then becomes an effective ally by exposing the false show of demonstration, or by evincing the equal demonstrability of the contrary from premises equally logical. The understanding, meantime, suggests the analogy of experience facilitates the belief. Nature excites and recalls it as by a perpetual revelation. Our feelings almost necessitate it, and the law of conscience peremptorily commands it. The arguments that at all apply to it are in its favor, and there is nothing against it but its own sublimity. It could not be intellectually more evident without becoming morally less effective, without counteracting its own end by sacrificing the life of faith to the cold mechanism of a worth less because compulsory assent. The belief of a God in a future state, if a passive acquiescence may be flattered with the name of belief, does not indeed always beget a good heart, but a good heart so naturally begets the belief that the very few exceptions must be regarded as strange anomalies from strange and unfortunate circumstances. From these premises i proceeded to draw the following conclusions first that having once fully admitted the existence of an infinite yet self-conscious creator we are not allowed to ground the irrationality of any other article of faith on arguments which would equally prove that to be irrational which we had allowed to be real secondly that whatever is deducible from the admission of a self-comprehending and creative spirit may be legitimately used in proof of the possibility of any further mystery concerning the divine nature possibilitatem mysteriorum, trinitatis, etc., Contra insultus infidelium, et hereticorum, a contradictionibus vindico, Haud quidem veritatem, quae revelatione, sola possit, says Leibniz in a letter to his Duke. He then adds the following just and important remark. In vain will tradition or text of scripture be adduced in support of a doctrine, et clava impossibilitatis, et contradictionis, a manibus horum herculum extorta fuerit, for the heretic will still reply that texts, the literal sense of which is not so much above as directly against all reason, must be understood figuratively, as Herod is a fox, and so forth. These principles I held philosophically while, in respect of revealed religion, I remained a zealous Unitarian. I consider the idea of the Trinity a fair scholastic inference from the being of God as a creative intelligence and that it was therefore entitled to the rank of an esoteric doctrine of natural religion but seeing in the same no practical or moral bearing i confined it to the schools of philosophy the admission of the logos as hypostasized that is neither a mere attribute nor a personification in no respect removed my doubts concerning the incarnation and the redemption by the cross which i could neither reconcile in reason with the impassiveness of the divine being nor in my moral feelings with the sacred distinction between things and persons the vicarious payment of a debt, and the vicarious expiation of guilt, a more thorough revolution in my philosophic principles, and a deeper insight into my own heart, were yet wanting. Nevertheless, I cannot doubt that the difference of my metaphysical notions from those of Unitarians in general contributed to my final reconversion to the whole truth in Christ, even as, according to his own confession, the books of certain Platonic philosophers, Libri Quaranda Platonicorum, commenced the rescue of St. Augustine's faith from the same error aggravated by the far darker accompaniment of the manichean heresy while my mind was thus perplexed by a gracious providence for which i can never be sufficiently grateful the generous and munificent patronage of mr Josiah and mr thomas wedgwood enabled me to finish my education in germany instead of troubling others with my own crude notions and juvenile compositions i was thenceforward better employed in attempting to store my own head with the wisdom of others i made the best use of my time and means and there is therefore no period of my life on which i can look back with such unmingled satisfaction after acquiring a tolerable sufficiency in the german language at Ratzeburg, which with my voyage and journey thither i have described in the friend i proceeded through hanover to göttingen here i regularly attended the lectures on physiology in the morning and on natural history in the evening under blumenbach a name as dear to every englishman who has studied at that university as it is venerable to men of science throughout europe eichhorn's lectures on the new testament were repeated to me from notes by a student from ratzburg a young man of sound learning and indefatigable industry who is now i believe a professor of the oriental languages at heidelberg but my chief efforts were directed towards a grounded knowledge of the german language and literature from professor tixen i received as many lessons in the gothic of Ulfilas, as sufficed to make me acquainted with its grammar and the radical words of most frequent occurrence and with the occasional assistance of the same philosophical linguist I read through Ottfried's metrical paraphrase of the Gospel, and the most important remains of the Theotiscan, or the transitional state of the Teutonic language from the Gothic to the Old German of the Swabian period. Of this period, the polished dialect of which is analogous to that of our Chaucer, and which leaves the philosophic student in doubt, whether the language has not since then lost more in sweetness and flexibility than it has gained in condensation and copiousness, I read with sedulous accuracy the minnesinger or singers of love the provencal poets of the swabian court and the metrical romances and then laboured through sufficient specimens of the master-singers their degenerate successors not however without occasional pleasure from the rude yet interesting strains of hans sachs the cobble of nuremberg of this man's genius five folio volumes with double columns are extant in print and nearly an equal number in manuscript yet the indefatigable bard takes care to inform his readers that he never made a shoe the less but had virtuously reared a large family by the labour of his hands in pindar chaucer dante milton and many more we have instances of the close connection of poetic genius with the love of liberty and of genuine reformation the moral sense at least will not be outraged if i add to the list the name of this honest shoemaker a trade by the by remarkable for the production of philosophers and poets his poem entitled the morning star was the very first publication that appeared in praise and support of luther and an excellent hymn of hans sachs which has been deservedly translated into almost all the european languages was commonly sung in the protestant churches whenever the heroic reformer visited them in luther's own german writings and eminently in his translation of the bible the german language commenced i mean the language as it is at present written that which is called the high german as contradistinguished from the platt the dialect on the flat or northern countries and from the oberteusch the language of the middle and southern germany the high german is indeed a lingua communis not actually the native language of any province but the choice and fragrancy of all the dialects from this cause it is at once the most copious and the most grammatical of all the european tongues within less than a century after luther's death the german was inundated with pedantic barbarisms a few volumes of this period i read through from motives of curiosity for it is not easy to imagine anything more fantastic than the very appearance of their pages almost every third word is a latin word with a germanized ending the latin portion being always printed in roman letters while in the last syllable the german character is retained at length about the year sixteen twenty opitz arose whose genius more nearly resembled that of dryden than any other poet who at present occurs to my recollection in the opinion of lessing the most acute of critics and of Adelung, the first of lexicographers opitz and the silesian poets his followers not only restored the language but still remained the models of pure diction a stranger has no vote on such a question but after a repeated perusal of the works of opitz my feelings justified the verdict and i seem to have acquired from them a sort of tact for what is genuine in the style of later writers of the splendid era which commenced with gellert Klopstock, ramler lessing and their compeers i need not speak with the opportunities which i enjoyed it would have been disgraceful not to have been familiar with their writings and i have already said as much as the present biographical sketch requires concerning the german philosophers whose works for the greater part i became acquainted with at a far later period soon after my return from germany i was solicited to undertake the literary and political department in the morning post and i acceded to the proposal on the condition that the paper should thenceforwards be conducted on certain fixed and announced principles and that i should neither be obliged nor requested to deviate from them in favour of any party or any event in consequence that journal became and for many years continued anti-ministerial indeed yet with a very qualified approbation of the opposition and with far greater earnestness and zeal both anti-jacobin and anti-gallican to this hour i cannot find reason to approve of the first war either in its commencement or its conduct nor can i understand with what reason either mr percival whom i am singular enough to regard as the best and wisest minister of this reign nor the present administration can be said to have pursued the plans of mr pitt the love of their country and perseverant hostility to french principles and french ambition are indeed honourable qualities common to them and to their predecessor but it appears to me as clear as the evidence of the facts can render any question of history that the successes of the percival and of the existing ministry have been owing to their having pursued measures the direct contrary to mr pitt's such for instance are the concentration of the national force to one object the abandonment of the subsidizing policy so far at least as neither to goad nor bribe the continental courts into war till the convictions of their subjects had rendered it a war of their own seeking and above all in their manly and generous reliance on the good sense of the english people and on that loyalty which is linked to the very heart of the nation by the system of credit and the interdependence of property be this as it may i am persuaded that the morning post proved a far more useful ally to the government in its most important objects in consequence of its being generally considered as moderately anti-ministerial than if it had been the avowed eulogist of mr pitt the few whose curiosity or fancy should lead them to turn over the journals of that date may find a small proof of this in the frequent charges made by the morning chronicle that such and such essays or leading paragraphs had been sent from the treasury the rapid and unusual increase in the sale of the morning post is a sufficient pledge that genuine impartiality with a respectable portion of literary talent will secure the success of a newspaper without the aid of party or ministerial patronage. But by impartiality I mean an honest and enlightened adherence to a code of intelligible principles previously announced and faithfully referred to, in support of every judgment on men and events, not indiscriminate abuse, not the indulgence of an editor's own malignant passions, and still less, if that be possible, a determination to make money by flattering the envy and cupidity, the vindictive restlessness and self-conceit of the half-witted vulgar, a determination almost fiendish but which I have been informed has been boastfully avowed by one man the most notorious of these mob sycophants from the commencement of the Addington administration to the present day whatever I have written in the morning post or after that paper was transferred to other proprietors in the courier has been in defence or furtherance of the measures of government things of this nature scarce survive that night that gives them birth they perish in the sight cast by so far from after-life that there can scarcely aught be said but that they were yet in these labours i employed and in the belief of partial friends wasted the prime and manhood of my intellect most assuredly they added nothing to my fortune or my reputation the industry of the weak supplied the necessities of the weak from government or the friends of government i not only never received remuneration nor ever expected it but i was never honoured with a single acknowledgment or expression of satisfaction yet the retrospect is far from painful or matter of regret i am not indeed silly enough to take as anything more than a violent hyperbole of party debate Mr. Fox's assertion that the late war, I trust that the epithet is not prematurely applied, was a war produced by the morning post, or I should be proud to have the words inscribed on my tomb, as little do I regard the circumstance that I was a specified object of Bonaparte's resentment during my residence in Italy in consequence of those essays in the morning post during the Peace of Amiens. Of this I was warned directly by Baron von Humboldt, the Prussian plenipotentiary, who at that time was the minister of the Prussian court at Rome and indirectly through his secretary by cardinal Fesch himself nor do i lay any greater weight on the confirming fact that an order for my arrest was sent from paris from which danger i was rescued by the kindness of a noble benedictine and the gracious connivance of that good old man the present pope for the late tyrant's vindictive appetite was omnivorous and preyed equally on a duc d'enghien and the writer of a newspaper paragraph like a true vulture napoleon with an eye not less telescopic and with a taste equally coarse in his could descend from the most dazzling heights to pounce on the leveret in the brake or even on the field mouse amid the grass but i do derive a gratification from the knowledge that my essays contributed to introduce the practice of placing the questions and events of the day in a moral point of view in giving a dignity to particular measures by tracing their policy or impolicy to permanent principles and an interest to principles by the application of them to individual measures in mr burke's writings indeed the germs of almost all political truths may be found but i dare assume to myself the merit of having first explicitly defined and analyzed the nature of jacobinism and that in distinguishing the jacobin from the republican the democrat and the mere demagogue i both rescued the word from remaining a mere term of abuse and put on their guard many honest minds who even in their heat of zeal against jacobinism admitted or supported principles from which the worst parts of that system may be legitimately deduced that these are not necessary practical results of such principles we owe to that fortunate inconsequence of our nature, which permits the heart to rectify the errors of the understanding. The detailed examination of the consular government and its pretended constitution, and the proof given by me that it was a consummate despotism in masquerade, extorted a recantation even from the morning chronicle, which had previously extolled this constitution as the perfection of a wise and regulated liberty. On every great occurrence I endeavoured to discover in past history the event that most nearly resembled it i procured wherever it was possible the contemporary historians memorialists and pamphleteers then fairly subtracting the points of difference from those of likeness as the balance favoured the former or the latter i conjectured that the result would be the same or different in the series of essays entitled a comparison of france under napoleon with rome under the first caesars and in those which followed on the probable final restoration of the bourbons i feel myself authorized to affirm by the effect produced on many intelligent men that were the dates wanting it might have been suspected that the essays had been written within the last twelve months the same plan i pursued at the commencement of the spanish revolution and with the same success taking the war of the united provinces with philip the second as the groundwork of the comparison i have mentioned this from no motives of vanity nor even from motives of self-defence which would justify a certain degree of egotism especially if it be considered how often and grossly i have been attacked for sentiments which i have exerted my best powers to confute and expose and how grievously these charges acted to my disadvantage while i was in malta or rather they would have done so if my own feelings had not precluded the wish of a settled establishment in that island but i have mentioned it from the full persuasion that armed with the twofold knowledge of history and the human mind a man will scarcely earn his judgment concerning the sum total of any future national event if he have been able to procure the original documents of the past together with authentic accounts of the present and if he have a philosophic tact for what is truly important in facts and in most instances therefore for such facts as the dignity of history has excluded from the volumes of our modern compilers by the courtesy of the age entitled historians to have lived in vain must be a painful thought to any man and especially so to him who has made literature his profession i should therefore rather condole than be angry with the mind which could attribute to no worthier feelings than those of vanity or self-love the satisfaction which i acknowledge myself to have enjoyed from the republication of my political essays either whole or as extracts not only in many of our own provincial papers but in the federal journals throughout america i regarded it as some proof of my not having laboured altogether in vain that from the articles written by me shortly before and at the commencement of the late unhappy war with america not only the sentiments were adopted but in some instances the very language in several of the massachusetts state papers but no one of these motives nor all conjointly would have impelled me to a statement so uncomfortable to my own feelings had not my character been repeatedly attacked by an unjustifiable intrusion on private life as of a man incorrigibly idle and who entrusted not only with ample talents but favoured with unusual opportunities of improving them had nevertheless suffered them to rust away without any efficient exertion either for his own good or that of his fellow-creatures even if the compositions which i have made public and that too in a form the most certain of an extensive circulation though the least flattering to an author's self-love had been published in books they would have filled a respectable number of volumes though every passage of merely temporary interest were omitted. My prose writings have been charged with a disproportionate demand on the attention, with an excess of refinement in the mode of arriving at truths, with beating the ground for that which might have been run down by the eye, with the length and laborious construction of my periods, in short, with obscurity and the love of paradox. But my severest critics have not pretended to have found in my compositions triviality or traces of a mind that shrunk from the toil of thinking. No one has charged me with tricking out in other words the thoughts of others, or with hashing up anew the cramben yamdeckes coctam of english literature or philosophy seldom have i written that in a day the acquisition or investigation of which had not cost me the previous labour of a month but are books the only channel through which the stream of intellectual usefulness can flow is the diffusion of truth to be estimated by publications or publications by the truth which they diffuse or at least contain i speak it in the excusable warmth of a mind stung by an accusation which has not only been advanced in reviews of the widest circulation not only registered in the bulkiest works of periodical literature but by frequency of repetition has become an admitted fact in private literary circles and thoughtlessly repeated by too many who call themselves my friends and whose own recollections ought to have suggested a contrary testimony would that the criterion of a scholar's utility were the number and moral value of the truths which he has been the means of throwing into the general circulation or the number and value of the minds whom by his conversation or letters he has excited into activity and supplied with the germs of their aftergrowth a distinguished rank might not indeed even then be awarded to my exertions but i should dare look forward with confidence to an honourable acquittal i should dare appeal to the numerous and respectable audiences which at different times and in different places honoured my lecture-rooms with their attendance whether the points of view from which the subjects treated of were surveyed whether the grounds of my reasoning were such as they had heard or read elsewhere or have since found in previous publications, I can conscientiously declare that the complete success of the remorse on the first night of its representation did not give me as great or as heartfelt a pleasure as the observation that the pit and boxes were crowded with faces familiar to me, though of individuals whose names I did not know, and of whom I knew nothing, but that they had attended one or other of my courses of lectures. It is an excellent, though perhaps somewhat vulgar proverb, that there are cases where a man may be as well in for a pound as for a penny, to those who from ignorance of the serious injury i have received from this rumour of having dreamed away my life to no purpose injuries which i unwillingly remember at all much less am disposed to record in a sketch of my literary life or to those who from their own feelings or the gratification they derive from thinking contemptuously of others would like job's comforters attribute these complaints extorted from me by the sense of wrong to self-conceit or presumptuous vanity i have already furnished such ample materials that I shall gain nothing by withholding the remainder. I will not therefore hesitate to ask the consciences of those who from their long acquaintance with me and with the circumstances are best qualified to decide or be my judges whether the restitution of the sum quique would increase or detract from my literary reputation. In this exculpation I hope to be understood as speaking of myself comparatively and in proportion to the claims which others are entitled to make on my time or my talents. By what I have effected am I to be judged by my fellow men, what i could have done is a question for my own conscience on my own account i may perhaps have had sufficient reason to lament my deficiency in self-control and the neglect of concentring my powers to the realization of some permanent work but to verse rather than to prose if to either belongs the voice of mourning for keen pangs of love awakening as a babe turbulent with an outcry in the heart and fear self-willed that shunned the eye of hope and hope that scarce would know itself from fear sense of past youth and manhood come in vain and genius given and knowledge won in vain and all which i had culled in wood-walks wild and all which patient toil had reared and all commune with thee had opened out but flowers strewed on my corpse and borne upon my bier in the same coffin for the self-same grave these will exist for the future i trust only in the poetic strains which the feelings at the time called forth in those only gentle reader affectus animi varios, bellum que sequesis, pelagius invidiae, curasque revolvis inanes, quas humilis tenera stilus olim effudit inaevo. Pelagius et lacrimas, a quod ferutratus acuta, ille puer puera fecit mihi cuspide vulnus. Omnia paulatim consumit longior etas, vivendo que simu morumo, manendo, ipse mihi collatus enim non ille Franz alia es morisque ali nova mentis imago vox quae sonat Yamque observatio vitae multa dedit lugwe nihil feri omnia Yamque paulatum lacrimus rerum experientia tercit end of chapter ten part two